Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for Dira d'Italia Stage 8. This was just, what a day to be a cycling fan. If yesterday was the pits, today was the opposite of whatever the pits is. From Terni to Fossombrone, we had the Terreno Adriatico uh, stage in 2019. I think it was the Fossombrone stage where Lutschenko crashed twice. If there was rain today, it would have been complete carnage. 200 Ks again, and this is really like, this is something I don't really understand very well yet. I don't think the teams really understand it well. It's something that Nibali understood well. <laughs> How multiple 200k, six hour, four hour, five, no, not four hour, six hour stages in the cold, in the wet, back to back to back, raced hard, how they affect, riot, affect riders. And this was 207k's again. And I don't know, Benji, it's like, how do you even predict how riders will react? All I knew is today, Saturday stage, this was going to kick off way more. And it had to. It had to. Yes, it was so bad. Because because of the two crashes that Emko had, he was in a position where he needed to be attacked in the coming days, and it did not happen last stage, so this was the terrain where it had to happen. Something had to happen here, someone had to try something, especially the Yumbos, the Ineoses, the, the Boras even, the Bahrains, all could have tried something on this terrain, and let's just say that for a portion of the stage I was worried something would happen, yeah. but I was fairly certain something would happen for at least the last climb, and... Uh, Helicopter gate first. Helicopter gate first. Let's talk about <laughs> oh helicopter again. So this is why I love the Giro, like love-hate relationship, because, yeah, like, when they start saying they're not going to do Monte Lusari, I start thinking, uh, you know, the day before the Giro starts, I start <laughs> saying, well, what the hell, guys? We've just previewed this twice now. and you. But then there's also the flip side where after a boring stage yesterday, they provide us podcasters who need something to talk about with something out of the blue just random and it's also the uci so yesterday many teams this is what happened the rcs offered teams a maximum of five spots on helicopters at the end of the campo imperatore stage down from gran sasso and they had to use rcs helicopter provider and they had to pay the cost of it and remco and four teammates got it bahrain Hague and four teammates got it yumbo didn't ineos didn't Someone else did. EF2, maybe. I think we've already yes. said on comms. But is that, is that it? We don't know about all the teams, but it's important to note that the alternative was either a cable car of the mountain with spectators in it, with yeah. organizer people in it, with all types of people in it, which is a danger when it comes to COVID, which is already going through the peloton. And another option was something with a car for like 45 minutes, but I'm not 100% certain about that one. A lot of people took cable cars that were not in the helicopters, yeah. but that's the alternative. So if you're a team and you get an offer from RCS, take a helicopter, this is the cost. You have to pay the cost yourself, but we're providing the service to every team. Then I'm like, if I've got a solid GC rider, I'm like, get in the damn helicopter because there's a risk there. I saw a photo on uh, Milan's Instagram that I think Jack Hay probably didn't want to be in the helicopter. The <laughs> <laughs> windy up there, he didn't look too happy. Um, so yeah, that's the situation. And then the UCI, and listen, a couple of team principals texted me last night saying like, this is technically, so normally there's a pre-agreement when helicopters do still happen, but there's a pre-agreement before the race, stage 20 or stage 19 before the TT, the riders that are still in the top 10 on GC get to take a helicopter. Like and, Hindley. And it's, yeah, and it's agreed before the race. All the teams agree. If your rider is in the top 10 on GC, you get a helicopter for free. Uh, RCS pay. The entire helicopter you get or... No, no. The top 10 <laughs> GC guys get to go in one. Um, that's different to this, which is it's offered to everybody. So that seems fair, but you got to pay. And so the UCI came out with a press release this morning condemning the use of helicopter transport saying it constitutes an advantage that goes against the principles of fair play and the regulatory provisions for ensuring equal treatment 
the transfer of teams to their hotel. So th that's really strong language saying it's basically a competitive advantage against the rules, against the principles of fair play. That's about one word away from saying it's cheating. Yeah. Like that's really, really strong language. And they said they will take necessary measures and sanctions to ensure that such a practice doesn't occur in the future. And they just dropped that bomb before the stage. Yeah, and at that point, it wasn't very clear to the public which teams had taken helicopters. No. So initially, everybody was like dive bombing onto Remco and Quickstep because those were the ones that were interacting with the Giro account on Twitter from the helicopter videos and stuff from that. So it was all going about whether Quickstep cheated or not, but then other teams also did it. So the factor for me is RCS is providing the service to every team, this opportunity to every team. So that's equal that opportunity, but I feel like there's still an unfair advantage towards the, the factor that a Bardiani might not be able to pay for that, while a Yumbo and a Quickstep will be able to pay for that. But on the other end, that's how the sport kind of works, in the sense that Yumbo and Quickstep can pay for Taita for X amount of months for their, for their riders, while Bardiani can. So... What is the or, difference between that? Or what if the RCS says, hey, if you pay 300 euros per rider for every night of the Giro, we'll bump you up to five-star hotels. And I'm pretty sure that's explicitly against the rules, yeah. but it's one step away from then that. And it's like, to be clear, it's like a supplement, right? Agreed. The hotel rules are in the following way. Throughout the Grand Tours, every team needs to have a relatively equal accommodation throughout. So if in week one you get a five-star hotel and in week two you get a one-star hotel, well, then you're pretty sad. But then roughly every team should have that at some shape or form throughout the Grand Tour. Every team should have similar relative accommodations throughout the Grand Tour. That's an official rule. Should there be a rule for that when it comes to transport after well, a station? There is. You have to use the transport provided by the organizer, but then it's like, this was provided. I, I think the UCI is wrong on this one. I, I think they're interpreting their own rules incorrectly. The, the transport was made available by the organizer. Yeah. The organizer booked it. You just had to pay the cost of it. Should now, RCS that, be penalized for this? That's a separate issue. And, and that's why I really don't like the UCI's release because they don't make clear, yeah. are they just going to sanction RCS now? Are they going to give a time penalty to a rider that took a helicopter? Are they just going to do put a specific rule in place that says if you do this in the future so they'll just address it in the future instead they just drop this press release no timeline no clarification on who they're going to actually penalize or sanction if anyone and so that was like mickey mouse stuff frankly so <laughs> it's of course i don't think the riders that took a helicopter should get a time penalty because like, really? They're baited into taking a mode of transport by the organizer that they thought was okay, and then they get a time penalty? Like, That'd no. be so stupid. And, and it's also a leap to say, you, you can run the argument, but it's a leap to say that it's against equity or fairness because you had to, like, the UCI is saying because you had to pay, that's, the, that's where it becomes that's unfair. Bullshit. Well, in my opinion, that's bullshit. I think they're reaching. I think they're reaching, and they should just change their own rules. But, I mean... I would also probably be, I'd, be, I'd still go pretty hard at RCS and be like, why the fuck are riders getting in a, a cable car fighting for their own spot against the exactly. public? With, with COVID, some riders have COVID, some riders are trying to avoid COVID. Poor Ineos guys, you see them huddled in a corner, masked up, everything. What's going on? Like that, needs, that whole logistics of that stage needs to be sorted out. And, you, and then the answer is, oh, well, then we can't have finishes in these crazy far-flung locations. It's like, well, no, actually, why don't, I don't think it's too hard to just block out the cable cars for the riders first. Yeah. That's just organization. Isn't that super logical in the first place that you make the accommodation for the riders the most yeah. important? Because there's the start of they're the stars of the show here. Maybe organizer people can get in there if they need to for yeah, logistical can, purposes, sure. but spectators should have to wait for me until the riders are off yeah. the mountain, stuff like that. And that's a major factor as well. Because if RCS cannot provide a competent ways to get off that bloody mountain, then you also can't expect teams to say no to to a helicopter that the organizers are offering. Now, all of this to say that we've got a COVID in the peloton. Ghana. Yeah, Ghana out. And any else rider? All the people that were in the cable car with Ghana last night, <laughs> yesterday, they're going to be looking at in the mirror like, oh God, am I sick? Maybe that's why he wasn't helping or riding for his teammates and staying away from them in the bunch the last week most of the time. Um, 
Not a bad joke. <laughs> G said he helped him a couple of times. Gagan Hart, maybe less so. But that, that sucks. And also maybe that's why he was a little bit under. And do we need to now put an asterisk on Remco's stage one TT win? Maybe as well. Get out of here. <laughs> well, certainly for tomorrow, it makes the favorite for the TT yep. very, very clear. Anyway, that's a shame. COVID is here and it's affecting a lot of riders. Even Groves today, you know, I'm not saying he has COVID, but he's clearly not feeling 100%. And there's other riders like that too. Uh, so hopefully... I, I'm just praying it doesn't affect the, the GC battle uh, directly because it'd be a big shame. Anyway, the stage, 207Ks. It starts with an uphill start, 5K, 6%. Then a valley, a fishbowl valley. Pretty much no categorized class for another 120 kilometers. Then a collection of Muro. The Icapuccini. Muri, maybe even. <laughs> Icapuccini, 3K, 7.5%. Straight into the Monte della Cesane, 8K, 6.5% descent. Then the Monte, Monte Felcino, 800 meters, 11% descent, flat valley. Then the E Cappuccini again, 3K, 7.5% before a technical descent to the finish. It's, it's a long stage. It's a very hard finish. It's not as hard as the Torino stage last year, which had like the multiple 5K, 8.5% supergas to warm up the legs. This really is three and a half climbs. Uh, but it's still very hard, and it's coming at the end of a lot of 200k stages. And the breakaway, Benji, I went with McNulty, you went with Healy, and um, they were co-favorites of the stage. <laughs> Only one of them managed to get in the breakaway, though. <laughs> well, I actually, actually saw the, the breakaway formation phase last uh, live this time, because I was like planning to go on a ride this morning, and then I stayed on the couch for... It's been snowing here. I, well, I was I was riding while it was raining. It wasn't necessarily snowing, but Papaya. I postponed my ride so much and ended up seeing the entire break formation phase in the process. And Hilly was one of the riders that was really trying to get this break going. And it was in multiple phases because there was this moment where a four-man group went ahead with Gilly, with, with Gilly. That's like Derek G plus Healy, with Healy in it and three other riders. And that group stayed ahead for quite a bit with Verona and so forth. But eventually Squins jumped to that breakaway and... Then other people started flowing in with one group, another group, and so forth. It was a very long phase of the breakaway forming, and eventually we've got the following riders. As I said, Ben Healy. We've got Derek G from Israel Premier Tech. Tonelli from uh, Bardiani. We've got Mattia Weiss, the brother of the dude that won yesterday on Campo Imperatore. Bidar from Cofidis Battistella for Astana. Should be good in this terrain on paper as well. Let's see if that happens by the end of the stage. Valentin Padepantre. I'm guessing brother of Aurelien, yeah, the guy that's close on GC. Verona, Bargil, Yaki, which is on Koratek. Uh, Zana for Jaco, which uh, I was also looking forward to for this stage. I had him for Campo Imperatore, but he was not in the break that day. And Squins, like I said, Bridges group. So a solid breakaway and a group that on paper should be staying away knowing that there's not that much incentive from the peloton to catch up with this group. Because if we take a look at Quickstep, they're fine with this group winning. For sure. If we take a look at DSM, they paced because they wanted to keep the guys that were closer in GC. Under six minutes. Under six minutes. So they tried to keep it that way. And then when I look at Yambo, I'm like, is their team strong enough to even close down a 13-man group and still have riders left on the last Tika Puccino climb or the first Tika Puccino climb to do something? And I'm like, probably not. They're not. Like, without Hessink, Foss, and Tratnik, it really changes all Van Emden. It changes the tenor of their team. Like, you're going to have to put Athene on the front and he's going to have to pace in that valley for 100Ks, maybe 90Ks against 10 guys chopping full gas. And he's going to, what, bring that gap down to three, two minutes? Like, I don't see how he's going to be able to do that. Um, now, you could say, well, he's not going to be useful after the first cappuccini climb, maybe keep it tighter. But it, it seems unrealistic with the team they have and with the, the strength of that breakaway. And that, this break formation really reminded me of the Tour de France break formation last year. It was crazy. Like, I was busting to go to the toilet. I was like, can, can this go? Can this go? Can this go? The four men that went, which had G in it, who's the, like the guys that were chopping, G, yeah. Healy, and Verona, and they were moving. As like, in Derek G, eh? Derek G, Derek G, the good G. He was moving, <laughs> and, you know, he's probably better on the track now than, oh, maybe. Anyway, he's a track guy. Really, really good rider. and. They were chopping, and I was like, this is gone. On this flat section, because they got away just over the top of the, the first climb, I was like, this is gone, no way. Then Mazwer, Schmidt jumped from the peloton. And I was like, what are you doing? Jumping, Israel rider. 
Then he stopped. Then he restarted the jumping. Astana and Yolo were just like, refused to give up. And Jayco, and credit to them because it, there's a fine line between DS punishment and yeah. just never giving up. And today, with, with the gap below, always below 30 seconds, it's not punishment. It's still on. If you jump, and the problem was they needed to get a group. You can't do it solo. You cannot breach 20 seconds solo. Like, who was... Um, Oh, Jake Stewart. Jake Stewart. Yeah. 10 seconds out and then you're done. Sean Kelly was saying it on comms. Um, but then suddenly a group of all the right riders and Shkun somehow bridged across. That was a magic move. But a counter move went and they had all the right riders and then they got across. So it, it was a really interesting break formation. Exactly. And I also looked at Quickstep. What were they doing in this break formation compared to stage four where they endlessly chased McNulty, blowing through Balrini, blowing through Cherny and so forth. And it was different here because in the first half, I did not see Quickstep in the first 30 riders. No, they were, they were staying behind with Remco. And then once the four-man group was ahead, Cherny attempted to close it down. Cherny attempted to close down the attacks of the Zanas and so forth to make that four-man group of Healy go up the road, which, yeah. I, which I found was really good, but didn't work out in the end. Yeah, he was just doing the Patron. Like, that made sense. Yeah. That was just like, okay. Did you say he was doing the Patron? That's only one no, man that no, can do that, my friend. Well, no. Quickstep, when the break did go, yeah, I agree, because when Quickstep went up to DSM, DSM were controlling it like three and a half, four yep. minutes. Quickstep were like, let it out a bit, please. Uh, you know, give it to five minutes. We'll, we'll make sure you keep pink. We want you in pink uh, anyway. So if you want to listen to the commentary or rewatch that break formation, I would really encourage you to watch this stage in two phases. Uh, the first, say, 60 kilometers, 55 kilometers. If you got it Saturday night, why not? You've got nothing better to do, I'm sure. And then watch the last uh, 50 kilometers, 55 kilometers is worth watching too. All the long-form highlights, GCM Plus is the best place to do so. Long-form highlights is a great way to watch these stages so you get the real flavor of the race and you don't really miss out on all the important action. You can get 15% off an annual GCM Plus pass through the link down below. The, G the Giro territories are really strong on GCM Plus and there's more races you can watch. You can catch up on Tour de Hungary, which had some young guns finding it out today and Bernal looking good yesterday. And all these semi-classics coming up in a week or so. Or Pays Vasco Feminina is on with uh, Vollering against Van Vlerten as well if you want to catch up on the highlights or just the last, the final of that. Or watch the whole stage after the Giro if you're a hardcore fan. Um, you can do that on GCN+. Plus. But break on Benji. Healy is is one of those breaks where it's like, everyone, it's funny, everyone fights so hard to get in it. <laughs> and then they're dead. No, but but then they accept they forget that they're also accepting certain slaughter. Yeah. And it, Healy's lucky that he's currently, he was still underestimated because if Healy was Tom Pidcock, yep. for example, who he dropped in Liege-Bastion-Liege, who, who he dropped in Amstel, Amstel Gold Race, if he was Tom Pidcock, do they roll through with him? Not as much as they do as with willingly? Healy. Not as much as the way Healy. I do think they... Still roll through to make this break happen because it's their only opportunity of winning a stage yeah. in the first place. But True. they might pace less. But and no one had teammates. Exactly. But let's continue a bit forward into the stage here. We're getting towards those climbs, and we're going to talk about the break first. I think yeah. that's a, a good way to do it. And when you look at Healy, he's riding in a an aero skin suit, and he's riding on the Cannondale System Six, which is their aero bike, super small version too. Is that because he wants to go early and wants to benefit from it in the valley? I think he's just an aero. He's just an aero guy. Like yeah. he's got his hoods turned in. He's got his numbers clipped. He's got his socks up to his knees. He's got you know everything is is optimized for aerodynamics. Even though we have got steep climbs, but he knows he's going to go and early. His socks. And, yeah, the socks. I don't know. We're going to need the UCI to strongly condemn those socks. Maybe um, <laughs> he knows that it's not just he's going to go away on the climbs with his legs. But then if you're going to keep it away with a group uh, changing turns behind, you're going to need to be as aero as possible. But this is what I meant by a certain death with Healy and the group. And as I said, like when you're a young rider like this, you kind of get one, a couple of chances. And I actually, I thought like Vine's last chance was stage eight of the Vuelta last year. Yep. When he won on Pico Hanno, somehow they were like, the, the breakaway was like, oh, maybe a fluke. And then like they all <laughs> rolled turns with him to the base of Fun Choir, Soler and stuff and Lutschenko. And then he just dropped everybody. And like, he, that was probably his last chance. And then the brakes are not going to do that again with him anymore. Healy, I think this was one of his last chances where he was like, oh, we, um, you know, we might. Because <laughs> no one was anticipating. And then first Cappuccini, 
he just cooks everybody. <laughs> no one could respond. It was like Zana was a bit like, can Zana respond? And Zana no. was good. Instantly dropped early on on the climb. Healy was off and they gapped by either by the top or by the end of the descent of that first Cappuccino climb was uh, one minute plus, one minute or seven, I think we saw. And we got to keep in mind, the second part of that break is now going down to roughly a four-man group, I would say. In there was Derek G, Filippo Zana, Warrenbargil and Verona. I think Baez was the last one to, to drop off those four as well. And we've got the battle on. Can they still catch Healy from this point onwards? And Zero I'll, chance. Yeah. Unfortunately for my pick, McNulty, who was probably dropped at this point. <laughs> Benji's pick rode away very convincingly because like, he descends well. You, you know, if you go away with, look what he did in Liege, he held, uh, in Amstel, he held Pogaccia, he was bringing the gap down to Pogaccia before the fix went in. So, if he's doing that in that race, then no offense to Carlos Verona and, and sick under the weather Bargui and Zana and, and Rota, but they're not bringing him back. And, and so he, Healy was incredible in this final, not only just creating a two minute gap to that group behind, but also he would, he took the gap out to the peloton who were moving at certain points in the last 50 K. So yeah. Ben, Ben Healy, incredibly dominant win from this breakaway. And it was perfect for him. EF have probably had a, a disappointing Giro so far, but they get the job done here and yeah, really, really impressive from him. And he's on the market. He's a, he's Irish, but English speaker. Uh, I don't know. He was on at Trinity. Don't know if he speaks any other languages, but if you want an Arden contender and a stage hunter, and I, I assume he could probably also ride a pretty good tempo on a 20 minute climb, yeah. which we haven't seen yet, which I want to see in the break later. Yeah, he, he's going to be hot property, I think. Fourth he can win an yeah. R-Stage. Of course, yeah, why not? Like, he, he, If you can beat the break you're in, who are not bad guys, by the way. G, I think, is really good. Zana has been really good. Bargui has made a career of being strong in these stages. He's also a guy that's come ten, top 10 in flesh multiple times. Verona I've always rated. Schoins is good, and Healy just completely cooked him. And they were working together, except for Zana and Mattia Bias were having big words. Zana was way too focused on Bias not pulling, even though Bias was fucked. So <laughs> he probably should have just relaxed. Um, that, that was the breakaway. Yeah. Well done to Ben Healy. Well done to EF. Um, Brandon McNulty will be spewing, but there's always another day, I guess. Exactly. Now we're, we're, we're at the peloton again. We're back in the peloton. We're heading towards a Lato Mikato climb. And um, we see that Ineos is not in the right position at the bottom of the climb. We're getting onto the climb. I don't know who was spacing into the climb. But I swear it didn't take more than 500 meters on that cappuccino climb that we saw the team of Ineos rider by rider move up on the left and right side of the road. What's your take well, on that? Well, Supercar starts moving. Yeah. And there's no Ineos in the wheel. It's uh, maybe Hessman in his wheel, maybe uh, someone else in his wheel. And he starts sending it. I'm like, oh, Ineos are gone. Or maybe Ineos are, maybe they're going to do something. We've been waiting. And... Um, it wasn't. It was just setting a tempo, quite a hard tempo. And this tempo was dropped everyone that was, this stage doesn't suit, but it wasn't dropping more than that. So, for example, it'll drop Edo Affini, it'll drop Ballerini, it'll drop Cherny, but it won't drop Luis Leon Sanchez. It won't drop riders like that. And Ineos bore at the front, and this descent's technical. Or I thought, are they putting some kilojoules in? Yeah. I'm, I'm still somehow believed Ineos might ever do something aggressive. Um, <laughs> that wasn't really the case though. They were just, I, I think Ineos were moving to the front. So they were keeping safe for the descent and, and they, they are the strongest team in this race. They are like, they have five guys yeah. who are making groups of 15. Aaronsman, Thomas, Gegenhardt, Sivakov, Duplis. They are clearly the strongest team and they're using that defensively at the moment. And I think they were there. And also, as I said, without Foss, without Tratnik, without Hersink, Yumbo launching for 55Ks to go with just Bowman and Hessman. Unrealistic. Um, but yeah. after this climb, we're going into the descent. Ineos still at the front into the descent Safe and descent. so forth. Exactly. Exactly. Took, the, the break took a lot of time out of them. Exactly. Went up from like five to six and a half or something yeah. at some point in this part of the race. And we, we see in the peloton, Hessman move up just before we uh, start the, the Monte della Cicena. I just invented that name i hope it's the correct name of the climb and it is relatively okay <laughs> but uh hesmon a rider last year lavenier 
spoke about him a bit in our Lavenir yeah, segment. Yeah, um, But he looks really strong today. He was riding at the front for the majority of that climb, and I was thinking, what is Yambo setting up here? Because if they attack on this climb already, what are they going to do in the valley? They don't have a rider up front. So if Roglic goes on this climb, he'd have to go through the valley. But then again, the valley is not that long. There's a bit of a hill going into it and so forth. I didn't expect the move to happen here, but Hesman's move was putting people in trouble. It was dropping roughly half the group, I yeah. would say. The group was down to roughly, if I had to guess, 35, 40 riders, maybe a bit less than that. Yeah, yeah. And was it at this point towards the end of the climb that Bauman already took over or not no, yet? Hesman did the whole of this climb, I'm pretty sure. And he was, as I said, it was, it was a good pace, um, but still not really no GC right Actually, pressure. I think in the last few kilometers, Bauman took over because Hesman was dropping, but he came back in the uh, descent. Yeah. Is that right? Or, or maybe, in, yeah, I think you're right. Um, and then, you're, yeah, Hesman came back because he did the steeper portion and then it levels off and there's a little plateau at the top. Yeah. So Yumbo clearly up to something. Now the stage wind's gone. Yeah. And I was thinking, do they. Were they just seeing if, like, on Carpena, right? First Carpena in Toronto 2022 last year, Formolo and Micah just went, and Soler went to the front for UAE and just paced the first five minutes full gas on the steep bit, and Remco dropped. And then they kind of knocked it off a bit, and then they, they kept him behind. I thought, uh, Yumbo setting, like, a really hard pace with Hessman. If Remco drops, great. If he doesn't, then they just pull the plug and the stage is over because they descend. Then there's this really steep pickup, and this is where, no, Yumbo were clearly trying something because Bowman then paced really hard on the Montefelcino. But Roglic was never in the wheel, really, Benji. He was kind of, he was yeah. sitting deeper in the group, but Bowman paced really hard here. Hessman came back. Then they get over that climb. There's another valley. No one's pacing. <laughs> so, no, but this is where I'm saying Ineos, Ineos weren't going to do anything today. Exactly. You think they were going to do anything? Because Roglic went to piss. <laughs> and. That it was completely relaxed, like before the last cappuccino. I was thinking maybe a second B gate, like the way Volring and Van Vleuten were fighting. Maybe, maybe Remco and Quickstep would have started Because Quickstep <laughs> had teammates there. They yeah, had like yeah. four riders still for Remco going into the last cappuccini climb. And I was kind of shocked of that because on the last climb, when Hesman was pacing, at the back, we did see people suffering from that team. I, I recall Heard being in the fifth last wheel, and there was another rider with number eight at the back. Who was that, Cataneo? No, probably not. Yeah, yeah. Was it? Over Varka. I don't remember which one it was. Two of them were suffering at the back. Yeah. Von Wilder was still with Remco and another dude. And uh, we were heading towards the last Cappuccini climb. And just before we head into that, there's like this, this tiny climb before we get to the Cappuccini climb, the Fossombrone, which is 700 meters at 5.4%. But it seems like there was a small descent either before or after that. After. Before and after, yeah. It was... It was suddenly super steep. We saw Helion it earlier. Yeah. And six minutes later, we saw the Peloton kind of on it. We didn't have full view of the Peloton at this point. But what was at the front going into the descent? No? This looked to me like Enrico Gasparotto's played a blinder here because he got Bora. And they you have to have the numbers, don't get me wrong. And Formolo had been Formolo had been keeping Almeida and or mostly Almeida because Vine was a bit deeper. But Formolo had been trying to keep the UAE guys safer. But in a phase of the race where it wasn't as useful. It, it was before Roglic peed. It was, on a, it was on a descent where everyone's following the wheels anyway. Bora, I presume Gasparotto or the team has done a recon of this finish or they remember it or Gasparotto yeah. probably, probably won on this fucking finish because he won <laughs> <laughs> sometime. But they came to the front with Jungles or whoever yeah. at just the right time. They clipped this battle, right? Yeah, through this corner. They, and because it's, it's so steep, and it then goes into a sharp right hand onto Pave, and it's all about position because it's strung out, and you're going to be ten seconds behind, and then someone's going to be launching it on a on twelve percent on a narrow road with a hairpin which you can't see. If you're deep, you're fucked. Yeah. Uh, even if you have the best legs. So Bora played an absolute blinder. Maybe they should have done the Ineos, knowing Vlasov's condition and Kamna, and they should have knocked it off a little bit. Maybe they went a bit too hard on the climb. They should have just blocked it up. Yeah. Um, once they actually got there, but we see Roglic has finally moved to the front. All stage, he has been behind Remco, and he's now slid in front of Lechnerson. He's sliding next to the Bora train. He's sliding like a like an he, eel. He was because it wasn't an initial attack. Yep. And I was thinking, that's a bit stupid. Why are you why are you tipping your hand that you're going to move? Why wouldn't you have attacked in one of the corners when Remco's boxed? Yeah, but but Remco 
didn't doesn't go to the wheel immediately. Because positioning is key at this point, and I feel like when I was looking at it, I feel like Remco was kind of boxing at this moment because not only Lechnison was in front of him, another rider was also there. I think it might have been an Ineos rider. I'm not sure about it, but there was someone in there as well. And first he he tries to go around the one rider, the Ineos rider or whoever it was, then gets to the wheel of Lechnison, who is between Roglic and Evenepoel, and they're on the right side of the road, and Remco just can't pass Lechnison at this point. So if Roglic goes at this point, Remco cannot respond unless Lechnison does. And it's not too much longer that we get to the steeper section of this climb when Roglic does move. And it's kind of odd because he kind of moves at the same time as Kemna. Kemna kind of goes to the front exactly at the same time as Roglic is moving on the other side of the road. And that's when Lechnison is following directly. But what's up with Remco? He doesn't respond. And this was really... We were doing the live stream watch along, watching it, and you were like, what do you think's happening? And I thought, well, first of all, I'm at Remco's drop. Because <laughs> you can say all you want about Indoran Choo Choo and TT, and on a 12K 7% climb, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Remco will do that. But on a six-minute climb with these pinches, with Rollis going up the road, if you got the legs... You're going to be with him, right? Like immediately. So he did, he did not have the legs to immediately be with Roglic. Roglic's initial surge must have been too strong. But then, but then it's like, in Tour de Suisse, on this sort of stage, Remco had, when his egg, he said his helmet fried his head like an egg. He, he lost way more time than this. Yeah. He full cracked. And in other stages, he's just dominant. And this was kind of in between where he just wasn't good enough. It, it was weird because like he was on a gap of like, let's say 20 meters, roughly 25 meters, maybe 30 meters at a certain point. And they were riders in between because we got to tip our hats to Mr. Andreas Lechnesund. Unreal ride. A blinder of a race, an amazing race for Lechnesund. He might have already signed at a team. I think we saw, you know, Vegar Kulsud, one of the one of the CEO guys there, like hint <laughs> oh, at it. We'd love to have him on the team. I was like, bro, you're getting very close <laughs> to breaching those August 1 rules about announcing <laughs> transfers. I'm like, you better be careful use that edit function, maybe, maybe get Twitter blue or something. But yeah, <laughs> he, um, very strong hint there. And that's a factor there. So he's riding amazingly. He's with Roglic at this point. Kemna is still roughly around Roglic and Remco still on 20, 25 meters. And we see one by one Roglic basically dropping the other two riders with him. And then we're looking at, I think it was first Kemna that dropped back. And we see Remco kind of quickly getting to the wheel of Kemna suddenly. Yeah, and yeah. going past and I was like, is he, is he actually doing and, this by power? And I swear Remco would lose a second in a hairpin, yeah. gain it back on the, the straighter, flatter section. Yeah. And then his cadence look very, very heavy on the hairpin. So is it because the hairpins are the steepest yeah. part and maybe he yeah. can get into the motor version of himself, more motor when in cycling? I shouldn't use that <laughs> term too much, but in the straights, he's able to put that power more regularly than he does in, this, in the steep hairpins, I'd say so. And then with Lechnesund, Lechnesund eventually also dropped and Roglic went again on the climb. I'm not sure Roglic actually accelerated again, but Lechnesund was getting trouble at some point in a hairpin. And that's when Remco once again got relatively easily, it looked, to the wheel of Lechnesund. And that's when something switched with Roglic, because we went onto like a straighter road, and suddenly the gap expanded massively, because Roglic went to like his high acceleration, high RPM mode, and zoomed off into the distance, and the gap became bigger, and then suddenly behind Remco we saw... He was getting dropped by other riders. Gagan Hart's come back, and this is what... What would have happened to Ineos today if Yomo didn't do this? Like, seriously, would they have just ridden in, like, yesterday with a group of I'm actually 20? not sure. They played really defensive so far. They think Toe, Gagan Hart, and Thomas are, like, me and you out there. <laughs> they think it's me and you on the team, and they just got to nurse them through the three weeks. Oh, no, no, your salary, is... mate. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know which one's higher. Um, <laughs> and it's like... Then Yumbo forced a hand and suddenly Gagenhart and Thomas have dropped everybody else. Yeah. And they have the best rider on GC. Gagenhart right, is ahead of Roglic. I'm pretty Not sure. Not anymore since he lost time in that random stage. Remember when he crashed or when Thomas was brought okay, by, by Gana? I made it up. But they're <laughs> they have every other podium contender and Remco dropped. Yeah. And listen, with Roglic's team, with his crash history, and also with his level, like... I think he's a bit more attainable for those guys in the third week. Yeah. They're in a good situation. They dropped everybody else. And I was like, you're, I mean, maybe their plan was to launch it, Benji, but. But the thing is, man. initially, 
into the descent, Thomas was still on a gap. So I'm like, at this point, Tao shouldn't take over, should let him come back. Roglic is probably a good descender at this point anyway. So they're diving into that descent until they're close together. On the descent, I'd be like, it's not that worth it to take over either. But once they get into the flat portion after the descent, I'm like, they need to take over because Thomas has a hell of an engine on the flat. He's had time to recover on the descent. It was like, a, let's say, a three-minute 30 descent. Very technical, yeah. And listen, I'm not saying... I thought Roglic was going to drop them on the descent, and he nearly did because he was going no risk, no glory, as he should. Yeah. Like, no risk, no glory is like, no, you... When the glory, when there's reward there, you should take risks. Like it's when he's risk. behind in GC, he must. Yeah, yeah, you have to go full gas and hope Remco makes a mistake. And yeah, Remco, we saw getting dropped by Caruso on the descent or Hague. Uh, I keep getting those two mixed up. It was Caruso. So Caruso, I'm pretty sure, like Remco's sliding backwards. And this is kind of what happened, not to the same extent. I think he's lucky this climb wasn't longer. If you remember, go back to, I know it's early season, Valenciana stage, the Queen stage of Valenciana 2020 two maybe last year gravel section steep last k vlasov attacked him and he lost 45 seconds in 900 meters at the end of that climb it was a longer 20 minute climb 22 minute climb and, and today as you said benji he he seemed to have it on five seconds five seconds five seconds and then yeah. that last 500 he shelled another 10 another five or six yeah and then on the descent i as i said before i think our mate has got the wobbles I don't think it's it's good at the moment, and, and I, I'm really not convinced by Remco's descending. I really think under pressure, technical descents, not people going full gas, taking risks. It, it's not. Um, it's maybe not as good as people thought it was. It's not. I don't think it's 100 percent fixed. So now we have Robert Jahead, and, and the whole time I was thinking we have a Jira, and this is also the cognitive <laughs> dissonance of like, oh my god, 10 second gap on the road. It's like, well, the TT Remco put 40 seconds into everyone on stage <laughs> one, and we're like. Oh, that was a good TT. <laughs> you know, it's just less <laughs> exciting, but it is more exciting watching it on the road. Yeah. They finished the descent, 1,500 to go, big turn. Ineos don't relay with Roglic, who's flicking them. And listen, Roglic is also fucked. He did the climb asymmetrically. He, had to, he was in bad position, had to move up early. Ineos finished strong. I'm sure they're tired too, but they don't relay initially. Makes no sense. And I was like, bruh. You have every other podium contender and the virtual Maglia Rosa, no offense, Andreas, <laughs> behind. And you got two on one with Roglic, who just take him out in the third week with two, two leaders. And you're not going to relay. It does not make any sense because you think if they start relaying here, that's maybe a three to four or five seconds that they can gain in those 800 meters that they don't relay because then they suddenly do start relaying with 800 meters to go. And it's like... And they had the legs. When, when Thomas, when they ripped through, they almost dropped Roglic. Yeah. So it's not that they were like personally saying, oh, now we should relay. You were, you were saying maybe it's the car that said it that they should suddenly relay or something? Well, something changed between 1.6Ks to 800 meters to go. Maybe uh, whoever was in the car, yeah. they looked up the GC standings for the first time in a week. But um, yeah, then they start relaying really strongly. Like, yeah. Thomas on this sort of flat effort is an absolute truck. And I was just really surprised it took him so long to relay. I was like, it's obvious to me you should relay. Didn't Gagan, couldn't they, is Roglic really going to beat Thomas in the TT tomorrow? Flat TT? It's going to be interesting. Well, like I'm saying, it's not like, it's probably not, like, not. Thomas is probably, probably going to beat Roglic, I think. Probably, probably I, I think Roglic, I think Thomas, it'll be, so, it'll be really close. I think what I'm saying is their peak level to Roglic peak level is... It's not that far apart, um, although they've been riding in that fashion. But anyway, very, very exciting. Prim um, Remco is caught by groups on the descent. Fine, Almeida is in yeah. there. The Hague is in that group. Uh, Bidar, who was in the breakaway, is just hanging in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> Dun Dunbar was doing very well in that group. Carthy got dropped on the descent. Sivakov was sitting on the back of that group for Ineos. Uh, Butrago and Vlasov were dropped. So Carthy did make the group, but just he, he lost 10 seconds because of the descent. I'm pretty sure Vine would have been pulling for Almeida at the finish to limit the time losses, and Caruso was pulling in with Haig. So that is a strong group pulling, so that limited the losses. But yeah, Gagenhart rolls across the line first of the three with Roglic Thomas, uh, 14 seconds ahead of Vine, Almeida, Caruso, Haig, Dunbar, even Paul Sivakov, Carthy on another 10 seconds. Then, um, unfortunately for Bora, Kamner and Vlasov on 20 seconds off. No, yeah. more, no off Vine. They were on... Uh, 45, roughly? Mm, uh, 45. Nah, 34 seconds. Legnason's in that group. He keeps pink jersey by eight seconds. <laughs> so really, what a ride. Uh, incredible ride from Legnason. Really, really impressive. 
And, um, yeah, I mean, we got a Giro on our hands, Benji. Yeah, we certainly do. Where did Pade Pantra end? He ended 30-ish seconds behind the group of Legnison. So also not a terrible stage for Aurelien Pade Pantra. So he's also fighting for that top 15 that uh, we initially hinted at in our initial yeah. preview of the Giro. But he's got a stage already and wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being X amount of minutes behind that he goes for another stage at some point because who's going to chase down Aurelien Pade Pantra? DSM probably. Depends on how long Legnison is in the leader jersey. But I'm afraid that's going to be the last day tomorrow that Lechnesund is going to be in the leading jersey. But you said it, eight seconds in GC right now is what Lechnesund keeps on Evenepoel. And let's talk about it first before we dive into the, the actual profile of the time trial. I'll do the revised GC standings. Okay. Lechnesund in Malia by eight seconds. Roglic moves up two spots into third on 38 seconds, two seconds ahead of Almeida in fourth. Thomas moves up a spot on 52 seconds. Gagan Hart up two spots to 6th on 56 seconds. Paripancha and Vlasov drop down to 7th and 8th. Caruso up to 9th. Kamna drops to 10th. Dunbar 11th. And then it's sort of, it's tight there. But yeah, I mean, Uran GC is gone. He doesn't have it. Uh, Pozzo will keep fighting for top 10 GC. Uh, let me just see where Quickstep finished the stage, Benji. Not great. Was it not great? As in, most of their team is just behind the first half of the Ineos riders. So, but then again, if they drop, what are they still going to be able to do? So, yeah, but well, you keep you keep pulling to try and come back to Renko. But the the plus kept going. But like for what value? By the way, Van Wilde got proper dropped. He was on. He was three minutes behind Renko. Completely different story. Why the hell is Stefan Kung trying to follow every oh, yeah. second of this race, knowing this that there's a time trial tomorrow? This makes no sense. So FDJ don't get in the break. Stewart tries a lot, so credit to Stewart. But I didn't see Kung trying as much with Stewart as Stewart was. So I was like, where's Kung? This could be a good break for him. We then see, I'm pretty sure, on the Montefelcino after the Cesani <laughs> climb when Hessman and Bauman had paced, he's at the back of the group, still in the group. And I'm like, bruh, Pino's just going to follow. I, I don't know if Pino is... Is he still kind of going for GC? He's kind of going for everything, my friend. It wouldn't surprise me if he suddenly starts printing a Chiclamino sprints and saying that he's not going for Chiclamino. He lost a minute today. He's going for, he's going for the KOM jersey, Maglio Zura. Kung's still in the group, so there's no valid reason to be in there to help a GC leader. Yeah. He's got the TT tomorrow. Ganna's out now. Remco's dinged up after two crashes. Remco has to chase and have this really hard final... You're the only G guy who might win this TT who doesn't have to ride this final hard because Thomas Roglic Renko have to. Pull up, pull, like, pull it up and go in the Gruppetta and save the legs for tomorrow's TT. I couldn't believe it. It just makes no sense. Because like, I presume he's at the Giro for the, two, the first two TTs. Didn't do well in the first one. Tomorrow looks better for him than the first one. I don't understand. Um, that's just a really... That's just uh, an oversight. So we've seen the stage. We've seen that Remco Evenepoel lose roughly 14 seconds on, on the three men, which is Roglic, Tau Gegenhard, and Geraint Thomas. Going into the time trial tomorrow, we know that he's likely going to take time on these three riders in that time trial, even though I wouldn't surprise if Thomas has a really good time trial on the flat. But I will say, however, Remco loses this battle. He's won a few battles before. There's a battle tomorrow. But what does this say when it comes to the longer climb, because this is the punchy terrain. Well, well, first of all, what happened to Remco today? That's a good question. Eh? Is, like, is, it, is it the injury? Is Primoz better than him on, these type in, on this terrain? Or is he struggling with the accumulated fatigue and cold condition? Because how can, how can you say this terrain doesn't suit him? On he paper, just won Liège twice. Yeah, but... He won San Sebastian yeah. by nearly two minutes. How can this terrain not suit him? He won Les Prairies, 3Ks 15% last year, ahead of Enrique Mas in Spain. Yeah. Unbeatable. In Belgian media, they're talking about the sacrum bone still, that that is an issue. If ever said that this morning, is that building up an excuse just in case something goes wrong when it comes to the fatigue? We don't know. We're not behind the scenes with Quicksilver. We're just grasping at potential straws here, but every single one of those is possible. Every single one of those is possible in terms of not the terrain, but the... It's continued fatigue as possible or the injuries as possible or both he's got a rest day after the time trial maybe we'll see I don't know we can't see it tomorrow either eh? if he does bad tomorrow it could still be the same two things eh? doesn't this make it even more what we said yesterday that teams should have tried him yep 
and they missed out yesterday. And they sh- I really think I don't care about the headwind. You have to try. Yep. Um, I think I'm actually leaning towards the fatigue element. But I re- as I said, I don't know. I can't see. I can't see how many calories they're feeding him every day, and his heart rate response, and his heart rate variability, and how he's waking up in the what morning. What is a sacrum bone? Is that the finger sitting on? I think yeah, it's your your pelvis, isn't it? Or something? Uh, that probably hurts a bit if you do have something on your sacrum bone. So it could it could it could honestly be both. Renko like- said afterwards to Vilaman, he said he had the legs to follow Roglic. He just paced it badly. That's fucking dummy, then. I mean, I also think that's complete bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I also had the legs to follow Roglic. Yeah, I just course. chose. I just chose Mate. not to. <laughs> Mate, you said that you could do a thousand five hundred watts for correct for, fifty for, seconds, not a minute. Does that mean you can do fifteen thousand watts for one second? Uh, no, no, no. That's not how the power curve works. Okay, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Two thousand, two thousand peak. But I can hold. <laughs> I can hold fifteen. But not for a minute. Like, let's not be silly. Only fifty seconds. Um. I, I think this is why the Giro is also why I thought the Giro was a dangerous option for Remco because like these cold long stages they they have an effect on your body that is, is difficult to control and maybe I'm just speculating but to me you cannot just say ah Primoz is better on these efforts I don't buy it it's the guy dropped Yates with huge, incredible watts per kilo on Erlites last year yeah. and but it's a one day race so what's the difference to stage race fatigue is it the fatigue or, or injury is it the is it the crash There's we don't not, know. In, 0.1% less. I don't know. Anyway, tomorrow's stage from Savignano to Rubicone to Cesena. Technogym Village. What a finish. Um, God, it's like an American-style grid, grid structure. Um, this, it's very odd to see something like this in Italy. Anyway, 35 kilometers, two intermediate, no, three intermediate time checks, but they're all... <laughs> there's one after 13, then there's another one in 8Ks, then another in... Uh, 7Ks. Maybe they should have put it at 10Ks and spaced them out a bit more. 35Ks, pretty much flat. Not so technical, I don't think. Uh, no, it, it, it's really not so technical. It's a pure power, pure aero TT. I don't know the wind conditions, uh, but it, it goes north. Who have you got, Benji? The Sheptal Scud? On or? paper, yes. Eh? On paper, Emco Evenepoel should destroy this time trial, but if indeed today was a sign, then maybe you might not gain as much time as we would have guessed after the first time trial. So I'd still say Anemko Evenepoel wins this time trial, especially because Kung was yodeling about in the GC group for way too long. Maybe otherwise I would yeah. have selected him similarly. I think Thomas will do really well, uh, pretty well, I'd say. Really well is maybe exaggerated, but I pretty well. I want to see Gagan Hart. Can he back up that stage one TT? I don't think so. I think Gagan Hart he... will be a bit worse on this one because it's a longer time trial. It's, a, it's 35 kilometers. Flat too. It's flat, exactly, so there's not that climb where he can really be one of the strongest riders. So I see them doing well. I'm very curious to see UAE in the sense that Almeida was really good in the first time trial, Van was really good in the first time trial. Are we going to see that repeated once again in the long time trial that we have here? I hope so, because Joao uh, lost time today. We haven't actually spoken about UAE too much, but they ended in the group of Evenepoel, and they both lost time towards podium competitors in Ineos. Yeah, I don't think Vine entered the climb in bad position, and that really cost him today. Um, but Leknesund is still in the lead, which means yeah. that he's going to wear the pink jersey. We've got Remco, who's Belgian ITT champ, not world champion when it comes to the ITT. So he should be able to wear his Belgian shirt. But yeah. would it have mattered? Because Castelli is the sponsor, the kid sponsor of the of the Giro, and Castelli is the kid sponsor of of Quickstep. So I would have guessed it wouldn't probably have mattered that much. Um, I don't actually know. I know the Giro one's supposed to be pretty good. So it's whereas the tour, it's like, it's like sometimes it's really not not as good. Is Almeida the Portuguese NC of TT? Of TT? No, he's it's, not. It's probably that random so Rafael Alme- Reis guy or something. So Almeida has to wear white because he yes. can't he can't turn it down for his NC jersey. Correct. So Almeida's wearing white skin suit tomorrow. Whether that has any effect, I don't know. I mean, it's supposed to be raining. Mrs. Rouge is texting me. is going to wear the Mali Azura. Oh, no. Really? So maybe if it's raining, we might see too much of Joao Almeida that we don't want to see um, in the white jersey. Jesus Christ, dude. I'm just looking at the time splits of the flat section of the first TT. Vlasov was very good. Pacing, of course, important. Vine was much better on the flatter section. I think he lost a little bit on the climb. Yeah. Kung was okay. Not spectacular. Thomas was fourth on the flatter section. 
McNulty, I uh, actually forget McNulty. McNulty was some whatever. Gagenhart was 12th on the flatter section and then did a quick final climb. Uh, so I think Gagenhart will top 10 the TT, but it'll be 9th or 10th. I think G. 11th. Be, maybe 11th. I think G will be top five, yep. probably top three. And Roglic is the real outlier to me because his TT was very disappointing on stage one, yeah. I thought. Um, is it like we've spoken about potential equipment differences yeah. when it comes to Yumbo, or is it just because of the, the consequences of the injuries that he's had that maybe he can't hold his position as comfortable as he could before with his shoulder uh, surgery? And so we don't know that. Is, eh? he, is he lighter? He doesn't look rock thick to me. <laughs> rock don't thick. You think back. Don't, no, I don't think rock thick. I don't think it's rock thick. Yeah, uh, it's skinny Roglic. Um, I think Remco wins the TT, but I think it's going to be like the Vuelta TT last year, which was on stage 10, where he didn't take that much time. Whoa. He didn't take that much time. Well, on the, he, he, to be honest, I thought he would take... It, Roglic was fucked, man. Roglic came into that Vuelta yep, in, do, in dog shit shape. He probably rode the TT bike twice. He was, he was in terrible shape on Pico Hano. And then on Pandera, his numbers weren't spectacular either. I think, and he, he didn't take that much time on uh, on Roglic. He, and he said himself, Remco, that that wasn't his best TT ever, that Welter TT, where he was a bit lighter. So I think Remco wins the TT. Is it going to be the monster gap we saw on stage one? Less likely because of all the fatigue, because of the crashes. But I think he still wins. Uh, and he's still going to gain a lot of time. And it's like, well, you had your fun today. You took 14 seconds. Congrats. But I'm saying... Remco's going to take a minute and 12 seconds on Roglic tomorrow. Really? It's, it was 40 seconds on a short time trial or so. Yeah, but... Um, Even if it's a no, bad no, time trial. But I'm Roglic. saying he's going to do worse. Yeah, if he does worse, it's... Th- 1 minute 12 is still worse than init- the initial time trial. Mm, yeah, because how long was the initial one? 20Ks? So it's another... Was it 20Ks? 18, I think, or something? No? Am I stupid? 19.6. Okay. We'll split the difference. Um, I think a minute. Yeah, yeah I think it takes a minute. Uh, if he ta- if Roglic loses 30, 30 to forty Victory. seconds, yeah, that's a win, right? Yeah, but I don't expect that. Um, One thing is certain: this Giro is not over after today. I'm changing my pick. G wins. G wins this TT. <laughs> if it's if it's raining, G wins this TT. Yeah, flick the earpiece out. G don't listen to them telling them you tranquilo in the corners, even though there aren't many. G wins. Okay, I'll go with Emco. You'll go G. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all from us. Uh, last stage tomorrow before the rest day. It's been a very enjoyable week. Today was very, very good. Hope yep. you enjoyed it all in the pod. Go check out GCN Plus down below if you want to watch the Jira live uh, on your TV or any device that you want. And we'll see you with stage nine tomorrow. Ciao. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.